Hello and welcome to another episode of Nonprofit Vision. This is your host, Greg Nielsen, President and CEO of Nielsen Training and Consulting, where we work with nonprofits all across the country to translate your vision into reality from board retreats to staff retreats to strategic planning. NTC is always there to partner with you. I'm thrilled to be joined um, by a, a really talented leader who is doing really important work in the sector for a conversation today around supporting leaders. And to join us in the conversation today is Mohan Siva Loganathan. Uh, he is the CEO of Our Turn. Uh, Mohan, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Greg. Much appreciated. Uh, I'm Pleased to have you join us today. Tell us a little bit uh, about yourself, your own background, and then I want to get some more information about our turn, your organization. So that's beautiful. Uh, well, I feel like I have to start with what we were just talking about in coming on the recording, which is that I'm a dad first uh, and husband, and that has its ups and downs and beauties and challenges. Honestly, the beauty is probably because of the highs and the lows and the challenges, right? Otherwise, it would just it would be boring. Uh, but that comes first for me. That absolutely comes first. Uh, I'm, I'm a son, I'm a brother, uh, I'm a friend, uh, and I rent the title of CEO of Our Turn. Uh, this is work that I'm deeply privileged to be a part of, uh, working alongside young people all across the country, predominantly young people from communities of color and the LGBTQ community, to be able to elevate their voices and activate their change-making abilities, specifically within the education system, a system that for too long, literally since its inception, has marginalized uh, young people, pushed them to the side, and told them that their voices don't matter, that their perspectives don't matter, that, hey, we, the, the quote-unquote adults, we have all the answers. And you know, systems are perfectly designed for the results they attain. And if you look at the results of the education system, it's clear that it's broken and therefore we need we need radical change. And young people, what they're bringing forward, uh, I, I guess in some ways, actually, it's not so radical. It would make sense that if they are at the center of the education system, you should probably give them a voice. Um, you should probably give them a lane to be able to exercise their power so they can be able to thrive and to be able to forge a more equitable education system. And the work that we do at Our Turn, that's what it's all about. Mohan, you mentioned our turn and you mentioned giving young people a voice. Tell us a little bit more about the, the work, the mission, the programs of, of our turn. Sure. Happy to do that. Uh, well, uh, the way I like to put it is that we train, we tell stories and we turn the tables. Uh, and so first, I think a lot of us know uh, deep down in many ways that young people are uniquely capable of driving transformative change, of being able to establish an aspirational vision to be able to pursue that and how necessary young people are. You know, I, I recognize that we're having this conversation a week since the election. Uh, and now everybody's talking about 2024 election. So in the electoral context, for instance, everybody knows how important the youth vote is. Uh, but that's not just as simple as, hey, just we're going to toss you into the fire and assume that the magic will just happen from there. Because for any of us, uh, you know, it's it's like that Bruce Lee quote, like, you know, in tough moments, you don't just rise to the moment, but you fall to your training. And so it's critical that we train young people to be effective change makers, to understand what it takes to be able to influence change, to understand organizing and advocacy and how to be able to elevate their voices, to build coalitions so that they can be able to pursue the change that they deem appropriate. So that's the training part. Second, what we believe at our turn is that incomplete policymaking comes from incomplete storytelling. Uh, and if you look at so many of the supposed solutions that exist within education right now, honestly, oftentimes from very well-intentioned people, we find that they are only half-baked at best because they tend to lack proximity to what young people are actually experiencing. And when you pass the mic to young people, you understand 
not just the depth of the challenges that so many young people face across the country, um, but also the, the richness of, of their own personalities, of their own communities, uh, of their vision for the future. So you need to elevate those stories. And we, so we strive to be able to tell stories at a national level and a local level um, with partners through the media, through video, through writing, uh, just whatever, you know, whatever really speaks to a young person in that moment when the mic is in their hands, uh, metaphorically or, or literally. Um, and then last but not least, we turn the table on how decisions are made. Uh, so many decisions in education are made behind closed doors by a small homogenous set of folks who, again, could be very well-intentioned, um, but they're lacking perspective, right? They're, they're oftentimes lacking even the most effective solutions because you've been shutting out those folks who are, who are in the, the classrooms, the virtual or the, the real physical classrooms. Um, and so we try to turn the tables in a couple of ways. One is we try to ensure that young people have the ability to design their own advocacy campaigns around the issues that they care about, to do that at a local or a national level, and then to push them all the way through, through to the finish line because young people are very clear that they don't always want to speak out, they want to do something. Um, and so campaigns are an incredibly powerful way to be able to do that by organizing folks. Uh, you know, we just did a major event uh, in North Carolina where young people went to uh, to the steps of the Capitol and were speaking out to folks, uh, you know, legislators, board members, uh, and, and helping them to understand what young people care about in the education system and what specific change could look like in that context. In addition, um, we're finding that basically everything that I'm saying here uh, it's not necessarily rocket science. You have superintendents across the country, school board members, principals, district leaders, philanthropists who are saying, hey, like, yes, this is the type of uh, change that we need in the education system. I want to be a part of that, but I may not have the capacity. Uh, I may not have the, the resources or the background to do this. Can you help us? And so increasingly, we're turning the tables on decision making by having young people directly join forces with those systems leaders to help them to be able to implement student and equity centered structures uh, within um, whatever educational system or context they might be operating in. Mohan, within the nonprofit context, what are some tools or strategies? How can nonprofit leaders open more doors for the next generation of leaders of color? Uh, well, I, I, I love that question. And, and to me, and from what I've heard from my peers, uh, from young people, is that opening the door is really just the first step. It's about what is the runway that you have when you get through that door? Um, or to take a metaphor from one of our executive fellows, Jalen Adams, and the notion of, of getting a seat at the table. Um, she says it's not just about getting a seat at the table, it's about having the place setting, it's about having the cutlery, it's about being able to pick the food that you want, it's about to ha like having food that you enjoy. Um, and I think we know for, for folks uh, who have been in this space for a long time, yeah, it's, it's not enough to just be able to step through. And I think especially for people of color, this is something that I've experienced throughout my life as, as a son of immigrants, as a man of color, that uh, I, I oftentimes have to hustle and hustle and hustle to get to a certain point, to a certain level of, of legitimacy or affirmation or credibility. I get there and then I have to fight some more. And then I have to fight some more after that. Um, and I've seen that play out in so many different ways. It could be with respect to fundraising or um, or being able to advance a certain strategy or advance a certain mission or, or message. So with that, how do we think about it at our turn? Uh, well, um, we know that, of course, when you consider uh, just, you know, opening that door, think about the top of the funnel, uh, you know, th there, there, there certainly needs to be a significant level of intention. 
um, at that point. Uh, you know, we hold ourselves accountable to walking the talk on our values. Um, you know, some of the values that come to mind immediately are one youth led, another one being equity. And so when we're thinking about opening that door, um, it's not just, hey, like, let's just do a, a broad spread approach to just recruit as many people of color, for instance, to step into formalized roles and then the work is done. You know, we think about who's involved in the interview process. Uh, we think about who's involved in writing up job descriptions. Uh, we think about, you know, where are we having conversations with folks? Um, also to be able to do it in a way where it just feels very trust-based uh, and, and not so much that there's this power dynamic because that power dynamic can close the door on people very quickly. So if you think about an interview process, for instance, so now I'm thinking about the context of, uh, of like staff recruitment, uh, we try to level that playing field as much as possible where it's not like, hey, you know, here I am, the big bad CEO, and I'm going to hit you with a whole bunch of hardball questions. I'm going to walk away into some dungeon and then I'm going to, you know, concoct some, some formula and figure out who's coming in. Um, but no, we try to create the space for candidates to ask questions, for them to be able to push, to, to be radically transparent in the information that we're providing. Um, and then when leaders are in the mix, it could be a full-time staff member, it could be a student leader. Honestly, it, you know, it doesn't matter. Um, you, know, you, you are here to be a leader. You're here to drive some sort of significant impact. It's about continuing to walk the talk. Uh, and so like you're, you're here for a reason. You're not just here so that we can claim some sort of statistic. You are here because you have a unique form of leadership to be able to bring forward. You have a unique story, um, a unique set of characteristics that will help to be able to amplify our work collectively, but then also will help to be able to amplify you. And that's when we're at our best, when, when it's, uh, it's, it's, it's simultaneous, it's harmonious, not like now you are in service of the mission and then you just have to be able to disappear within that, which I think happens a lot in the nonprofit sector where all that reigns supreme is the mission and, and strangely not the people who are actually pursuing the mission. So once folks come in, you know, when it comes to like really being able to strengthen that leadership, um, this could be of people of color or from, from any other marginalized community, we need to continue to listen um, and to hear and to pay attention. And we do that in a lot of different ways. Um, and, you know, we, we do that by encouraging folks to share their story. We, we do that by encouraging folks to share their expectations and their vision to help to be able to design and shape their action plans, to give them the room to be entrepreneurial. Um, we find that that's something that's critically important is that, yeah, folks don't want to just be a cogs in the machine. They want to be able to realize and activate their mission and their vision um, for the organization and themselves. So we try to create the space to understand that and figure out like, how can we then support you on that journey? Um, and then another big part of it is recognizing that, uh, that things are going to go wrong along the way, right? Like you're going to make mistakes. You're going to have an initiative, a project, a program that doesn't hit the metrics or goals that you might've identified. Um, that is such a critical moment because for so many, so many people of color, that is the moment where you, you, you are isolated. Um, when you're pushed to the side, when you are scapegoated, um, this has happened to me countless times in my life. Uh, and it's, and it's painful, uh, and, and it can be traumatic and that's baggage that you carry for a long time. And so what, what I try to do with folks that I'm in community with, what we try to do at our turn, um, is we lean into those moments, uh, with empathy, uh, with a growth mindset, with connectedness, recognizing that, hey, sometimes, you know, you've got to fall flat on your face. Like, that's how you know that you're going after big and important things. And what can we learn from that moment? Like, how can I support you? Uh, and like, what are the commitments that you're going to make so that you can be better, so that we can continue on this journey and on that this process? Um, and so creating that type of culture and space where there is there's real grace for people, uh, that's that's just vitally important.
Um, it's it's just so, so necessary. How in your experience, so you mentioned supporting and creating a culture um, for nonprofit leaders who are listening to this podcast. What is their role in creating a culture that provides leaders of color who are on the front lines with the tools, the resources to be successful, but also to embrace the uniqueness of who they are and their own lived experiences as well? Yeah, well, I think the first thing I would say is that to every person who might be listening right now, um, it is it is your role. And now that you could be, you could be an executive director, you could be a manager, you could be an associate, you could be a director, you could be any one of those titles, you could be a board member. And yes, I'm talking to all of you. It is your role. Uh, now, put that in contrast to what happens in organizations quite often, where you've got one person who's the DEI lead or one person who's the culture person, if you even have that, right? Many organizations don't even have that. What's so critical is that this has to be an all-in approach. Um, everybody needs to have a role when it comes to shaping culture. Uh, something I recognize in my role is, yes, there is a certain power dynamic that comes with that title of CEO. There's a certain authority that comes with that. Um, but that said, I'm not the final voice, nor am I even the first voice oftentimes when it comes to our culture. Our, our culture, uh, it's it's built through a collective. Um, there's so much that I have learned from and gained um, by just taking a seat and and being supportive, being an ally on the journey, letting other folks be able to shape our culture, um, doing that in ways that might touch professional development, that might touch, uh, you know, community gatherings that we could host in person or virtually. Um, it could touch on our messaging. It could touch on our celebrations. These are things that oftentimes come from other people. And, and my role it oftentimes is, again, being an ally is, is setting the conditions so that folks, again, have a runway. So when they're getting through that door, they have a runway. They can be able to take off. They don't have to worry about the threat of me or somebody else getting in the way. Uh, and so I think that is that is one way that folks can show up is, is uh, you know, being able to provide that space. They talk about allyship. I think allyship is a much more active version of the word of support. You know, you could be passively supportive. So again, you don't get in the way, but that doesn't mean that you're actually putting your time, your treasure, your talent, your ability into ensuring that thing is successful and that person is successful. Um, and that, so that's really the call to act that I would, I would offer up to folks is when you're thinking about organizational culture and you're thinking about leadership development, it has to be an all-in approach. Um, it can't be something that is segmented or regimented and it's only some folks who deal with it only at some times. Um, no, culture is a constant. Um, that's something that we just always have to be working on. And I think for me, perhaps what's maybe what's, uh, what's somewhat unique given the role that I have in my organization is I think a lot about the speed of culture. Um, and so while I may not be dictating, hey, here is the value that we need to hold, here's the characteristic, here's the event, uh, what I do need to keep an eye on is, uh, you know, are we are we advancing our culture in a way that's harmonious with our values at the speed that is necessary? So oftentimes any intervention I might drive in my role, it might be recognizing maybe somebody's channeling it up to me or something that I might observe, perhaps something is going too slow. Um, or in some cases, perhaps something is going too fast and the culture is not ready for it. And then being able to, you know, sometimes it's, it's stepping on the gas or pumping the brake. Now, Mohan, uh, another, I want to probe your, your experience working with young people and youth, right? Let's say I'm a nonprofit leader, you know, and organizations come in all different shapes and sizes. Let's say I have a, a board that is tilted way towards the older end of the spectrum. I have a staff that's tilted way towards the older end of the spectrum, and I'm looking to infuse my team or my board with young people and a new, fresh perspective. What are the 
what are one or two things you would recommend that I do with some of the older members of my team to make sure that the conditions for success are met there? And what are one or two pieces of advice that you would share with a young person that was joining a culture like that? Mm, that's, oh yeah, I love that question. I love that question. Uh, you know, we've just, of course, you know, the nature of our return to work is, is to be centered on young people. Um, that said, like, it, I, I can't say it enough that, um, we've just benefited so much from centering young people and who they are, what they have to say. I just find so much inspiration and joy in that process. So that said, you know, the, I think that there's a combination of self-work for everybody involved um, and, and some institutional work. So when I say self-work, you know, I oftentimes talk with uh, folks from, from my generation, um, from, you know, our elders uh, who you know in, in many ways are in the roles that they're in for a reason you know, they're they're accomplished and um, and you know I think it's it's like a rite of generational passage to complain about the next generation that's coming in right this is a tale as old as time like folks might say oh this is just a Gen Z thing millennial thing no every generation has complained about the next generation and now what I what I do remind folks of is that's one point. What I also remind them of is that, hey, you know, you might be looking at young people right now and finding that they have a certain level of audacity, um, or you might call it radicalism, whatever it is. And then maybe that, that makes you a little nervous and you feel like, hey, this is going to be very disruptive. What I try to remind folks of is like, hey, like, let's listen to what young people are actually saying. So they're saying, for instance, yeah, I don't want to just be working around the clock. I, I want to take care of my health. I want to do purposeful work. I want to be connected with people. I don't want to feel isolated. And so ask yourself if you are um, Gen X or whatever, like are any of those attributes foreign to you? And what I oftentimes find is that folks are like, no, like I feel the same way right now. Like I felt the same way when I was in my 20s and 30s. So I appreciate that young folks today are actually calling into question the stuff that in, we weren't able to overcome when we were at that stage in our lives, in our career. And we knew it was there, but the pressure was too great, too significant that sometimes worst case, we just bit the bullet and we just dealt with it. And, and I think young people are asking why in the right ways, in the necessary ways, and we need to follow that. So I think that's a big part of the self-work that so many folks have to do is, is to you know, just just do like a little bit of reflection and, and discovery and then find like the unlock that young people can bring forward as a part of that process. Um, now, the other thing that can be done, so that's self-work, the other thing that could be done from an institutional lens, as I mentioned before, that entrepreneurialism. Um, I, I think that we need to really center on those unique characteristics that young people are bringing forward in the education system, in the workforce. They have a very unique brand and model of leadership. I, I have the privilege of, of delivering um, a TED talk as a part of their education program uh, in 2024 is actually centered on this notion of like, how do we affirm and elevate the youth leadership model? When we consider that that leadership model, we see like there are many of the characteristics that we know are necessary in so many different institutions. And we need to, I'm just going to, you know, broken record on this runway, right? So it's, it's knowing, for instance, that young people um, have a very unique disposition towards emotional intelligence. How do you give them the runway to be able to exercise that emotional intelligence so that you can build more affirming um, and connected workplaces, um, as an example? Build that into the job description, build that into the role requirements, build that into the onboarding plan. Like speak to what young people can do and their unique qualifications and not the stuff that we were doing 20 years ago. 
Uh, like there isn't that much from 20 years ago that we know we should that should stay true. There isn't that much from 20 weeks ago that we know should stay true right now. Like the world is evolving that fast, and we need to be where young people are at, as opposed to where past generations were many decades ago. And then for young people, uh, you know, I think that it's it's too simple, too superficial to just say, "Hey, just go be yourself." Um, because I, I know firsthand, I've experienced this, I've seen this from other folks, oftentimes just being yourself sets you up to take the arrows. Um, it can be very isolating, it can be very scary. Uh, and so now that doesn't mean, hey, now go in the opposite direction and just hide who you are. I think it means a couple of things. One is um, is to try to find your allies. Um, don't get isolated. Like it's, it's really tough. This is heavy work that we're doing and it's even worse if you feel isolated. So find your allies. Um, be willing to seek out people who can be uh, um, mentors for you, who can be coaches for you. Um, be willing to learn, like have that growth mindset. I think for me as a hiring manager, the number one thing I look for is a growth mindset. Um, before degree, resume qualifications, whatever it is, I want to see evidence that you're able to grow, um, that you can make mistakes and you can learn from it. Um, and then the other piece of advice that I offer up to young people a lot is that you may not have to play the game. You probably shouldn't have to play the game, but you should probably know the rules of it. Um, so open the aperture, like open up your perspective, learn about what's happening, like try to understand like what's happening and why. Uh, and there might be parts of it that are really frustrating to you, but at least you're better informed. Um, and then you can be able, be able to make a decision that's right for you, um, right for your loved ones, you know, maybe, you know, right for your team, um, if that's appropriate. Uh, and and then you can be able to go from there. And I, and I think that folks who struggle, um, especially early in their careers um, or in academic settings, um, there are ones who were, I think, like mindset was in a completely different place from how the game um, was being played and just kept running into walls over and over again, instead of actually understanding those different elements and components and then finding ways to be able to manipulate and work around them. Mohan, you've given us a lot to think about, a lot of great tools, great advice and suggestions. Um, I want to thank you for taking the time to join us on the podcast today. For those who want to learn more or who might want to connect with you or our turn directly, what is the best way for folks to get a hold of you? Yeah, well, this, this has been a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. I, I appreciate um, the space and platform here. Uh, if, if folks want to connect with our turn, we're, again, always looking for allies, always looking for young people who are hungry to drive change in the education system. You can visit our website. It's ourturn.org. That's I-T-S-O-U-R-T-U-R-N.org. Uh, if there's anything I can be supportive of and, and helpful on, um, reach out to me on LinkedIn. Uh, I, I take pride in being an ally to folks um, and being supportive. So feel free to send a connection request, send me a message and I'll do what I can. Mohan, thank you so much for taking the time to join us. For those who are enjoying the podcast, encourage you to share it with your friends, your colleagues, your coworkers, as we continue to grow the nonprofit vision community. And we'll be back soon with another episode. Thanks so much.